Welcome back to the 58th episode of the Professor Penn Podcast. This is David Penn welcoming you again. Hope you're well. Hope you had a great weekend. Um, here we go. We've got some uh, really interesting information to go over today, and um, it's exciting to be, ba- to be back. I, I want to th- say I'm feeling good. I got a lot of rest over the weekend. Uh, I'm working through a lot of uh, spiritual issues and intellectual issues, as I'm sure you are, and uh, I'm continuously trying to up my game and participate in and contribute to the restoration of the republic and the uh, processes that are going to lead to well-being for the American people. Therefore, I want to thank Free People Radio for giving me this platform. Free People is awesome, and uh, we appreciate it very much. I want to thank PrecinctStrategy.com. That's PrecinctStrategy.com. Dan Schultz for giving us a tutorial on everything we need to get into the game of politics. And it is important. And as I've been saying every, almost every time, there's something for everybody to do in their own way. But for those of us that want to actually get a seat at the table and get into the political parties, not party, but parties, because it's a uni party. So when you go in, when I go in, when I go into the party, I'm going in, I'm changing the parties. Wherever I sit, it's going to change. And that's what we need to understand as American people. We have a uni party. And then there's the the sponsorship, target.com, target.com. And you're going to see me doing this on every episode where I'm going to do a live read for target.com because we got to get the word out. We got to have uh, money to make this thing work. Target.com is an e-commerce online tire store, 14,000 different kinds of tires in stock for all your tire needs, major brand tires, American made tires, low cost tires, everything you need. The price is right. The site has what's called map math manufacturers. Let's try it again. Can I try it one more time? You know, you're watching how the sausage gets made. Target.com, an online e-commerce tire store for all your tire needs. We have 14,000 different kinds of tires in stock. Everything for tires. Major brand, American-made, low cost. You want it, we got it. The price is right. It's manufacturer-authorized pricing. That's the lowest possible advertised price. Plus, service. When you go to our site, you'll get a prompt that says, can we please service and install your tires? We will ship the tires to the local tire store closest to your home that you choose. It's going to cost 25 bucks, which is the market price for a mount, a balance, a valve stem, and disposal. So you go to the site, you pick the tires you want, the price is right, the service is right. And if you have any problems, you can call in and you might get to talk to Professor Penn because it's my company. And thank you very much for supporting this broadcast. All right. We got that out of the way. Thanks for watching us do it. We're going to try something a little different today. I I do believe and I, I try to transmit in every episode the importance of prayer. Uh, Prayer is a, well, (laughs) you know, prayer is not understood by science. They're working their way in that direction. One day prayer will be part of science. 
but not today. Today we have to call it faith. And today I'm going to read something a little different uh, because there's a wide range of material for us to contemplate and in our modern world for many reasons. We have been led to believe that there's no wisdom worth studying in these ancient texts. And that is a lie. If there are things in these ancient texts that I find troubling, that does not mean there are other things in those texts that I would not find uplifting. And what we tend to do is become very absolutist in what information we allow ourselves to get involved with. And, you know, perfect? We're looking for perfect. No, we're seeking the truth. And we're going to find a lot of truth when we get involved in something like Psalm number 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. The Lord put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the person who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, who does not turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done and the things you have planned for us. None can compare with you, and were I to speak and tell your deeds, there would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, Here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs on my head, and my heart fails within me. But pleased to, be, to save me, Lord, come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, Aha, aha, be appalled by their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, The Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. These psalms are fantastic. The Psalms of David, these are poems that were written by King David and have been transmitted through thousands of years of time. Tanner, do you know anything about the Psalms? Uh, no. 
Oh. I mean, I, I have like a very basic understanding because I was confirmed as a child, but I don't actually. You never read the Psalms? No, not enough to actually speak on it. Well, I'm going to suggest to everyone to find the Psalms because King David knew how to pray. This guy got himself into some serious scrapes and he kept getting out of them. And it was miraculous the way he got out of them. And he knew how to approach the Lord and pray. He knew how to do it. There's a way to do it correctly, and there's a way to do it incorrectly. You have to figure out how to pray correctly and how to be in a place to receive God's blessing. And that's what we're all learning how to do. I mean, there's nothing extraordinary about this. Now, <clears throat> when we live in a world that tells us there's no miracles and that it's a science-dominated world and everything is about science, we're precluding the spiritual realm from act, acting in our lives, which is a self-fulfilling prophecy, of course. That's why how we think and what we say and how we treat other people is so critical to the outcomes and to the experiences that we're going to uh, enjoy in the years to come, in this minute to come. Uh, there's two great commandments. They're really not religious commandments because we could de-religiousize them, to use a made-up word. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. Think about the spiritual aspect of our lives. Before we even say we're going to have a relationship with God, how about a spiritual aspect moving back from the material and developing an intellectual or a um, emotional state where we're not dominated completely by the demands and desires of the material world. That's the first step to having a relationship with the divine is to create a space where you can go and practice some quiet, like Tanner goes out into the nature. Right? That's a spiritual experience, isn't it? Yeah, that's the purpose for why I do it. Oh, that's great, right? So, you know, I went out and walked this weekend. I went for a walk in the woods with my family. I mean, it wasn't a long walk. It was an hour and a half. We were just out in the woods. There was no cell phones. There was no headphones. There was just walking along, trying to be stylish because we were walking on in a mountain in hills, which is easy to stumble and not be cool, you know, being cool is part of it too, in that spiritual place, having some style, walking with some style, speaking with some style. Those things actually add to the experience of the spiritual realm. You know, walking with style, think about that when you're walking this week. Instead of just walking, have a little spring in your step, a little coordination between your arms and your legs. Walk from your center. You know, the whole Asian philosophy of movement, which is martial, right? Martial, like Bruce Lee. Martial, like getting your ass kicked. That kind of martial. Or kicking someone else's ass. It's all about moving from your center. People go, what's my center? What is my center? Now, if you know what your center is, bless you for knowing it. That's great. Uh, I've been working on discovering my center for, oh, I don't know, 64 years. Because the more you discover it, the more you realize it's a infinite well 
of power and insight. So it has a physical dimension in movement, but it also has a spiritual dimension. I could go on and on about this. But when you're out walking this week to get into that spiritual place and open that spiritual door, because so many of us, Tanner, the spiritual door gets slammed shut. Because if you're taught that there's just the evolution of the species, just the survival of the fittest, they're slamming the door. If you believe that, the door slams shut. And then you get the reinforcement. Hey, these religious people, they're kooks. They're domestic terrorists. There's a lot of effort made progressively, progressively over the last couple hundred years to paint religious people or believing people as being primitive, uninformed. We saw in the last piece, Margaret Sanger. She said, hey, these people need to be regulated in their family sizes. Regulate the religious. Well, I totally get why we can see that what's going on in Israel. The religious there have had, you know, 5, 10, 15 kids per family, and they've outpopulated the secular humanists, which, you know, when you got Jews, you got believers and you got secular humanists. Okay, that's just the way it is. I mean, if you're going to take down a structure, go right to the root causes, which is, you know, Judaism is the root of Christianity. So in Israel, we've got a, you know, it's all, they say it's 50-50, who knows? But the religious people have control of that government in a democratic process. And the, the progressives, the leftists, the communists, the whatevers, because there's a lot of ways to call them, just like they call the religious bio, all this name calling, name calling, labeling. This is a cognitive distortion. We got to cleave there. Israel is a great place to watch what's going on because you have the spiritual in conflict with the material or however it feels right for you to say. But they've just had more babies. Demographics is destiny. So, of course, the leftists, the globalists, the communists are saying, this is the end of democracy. These people are going, well, it is a democracy. And just the way certain laws were legislated over the last hundred years to bring about a certain kind of social outcome, through demographics, another set of laws may be erected. If we believe in democracy, we live with that result. That's why I say precinctstrategy.com, get involved, get involved, because we have to live with the result. Let's take a look at a couple of uh, videos here to set up the next piece. Could you please this um, opening of the 1936 Summer Olympic Games, please? This is the 1936 Olympics in Berlin. This film, of course, was from a Nazi perspective, but we see all the pomp and circumstance of the opening of Olympic. Herr Hitler coming to the viewing stand, the president, the Fuhrer of Germany, 
taking flowers from a little girl, how beautiful. There's the Olympic torch coming to light the Olympic flame. The crowd goes wild. It's beautiful, 36, it's before the war. All the nations of the world have come together in peace and harmony for sport in the capital of Nazi Germany. Now let's play right behind it. The 1996 Olympic, and just take a look at the similarity of the themes. Start at 10 seconds in, please. Here we come, pomp and circumstance. Into the giant stadium we go. And there's our President Bill Clinton with his wife at the time. Still his wife, Hillary Clinton. We'll go to about 112 in just to give uh, us a feel for how things are different but the same. Look at that adoring crowd, the beautiful stadium, all the nations of the world gathering in peace and harmony to celebrate sport. Our president proudly, jaw stuck out. Well, oh, you know, when I saw that in 1996, and those of you who watch it, we really weren't thinking about 1936, were we? Well, let's see what happened in Berlin just shortly after this Olympics in 1945. We're going to look at Berlin, a 1945 short, a short. Can you play that, please? And here's Berlin, just after the war. We have scenes of complete and utter devastation of children on the street looking forlorn. Everything's destroyed. No cars. There's buildings falling down after the war. We have the civilian population working manually to try to restore some semblance of order. The church has been destroyed in the bombing, more buildings that are destroyed in the bombings. So in uh, nine short years, from 36 to 45, a world war was fought and Berlin was destroyed. So we're going to go into a, a clip here called Escalation. We're going to talk about Escalation. Escalation. The Russian fleet was attacked at harbor in Sevastopol. Can you play this uh, uh, piece on the attack? It's two minutes and 20 seconds long, please. A Ukrainian strike against Russia's navy using British missiles in occupied Crimea. Images posted online capturing the impact. 
One Russian submarine and a warship apparently hit. Sources said British Storm Shadow cruise missiles were used, fired from Ukrainian aircraft. That's not been officially confirmed, but the head of Ukraine's Air Force unusually took to social media to claim responsibility for the attack and thank his pilots for their excellent work. The message is, you cannot use Crimea safely for any of your forces. You know, either your Air Force or your ground troops or your Navy can operate from Crimea and we can attack it. Satellite imagery from the day before shows a Kilo-class submarine to the right of the dry dock that was struck in the Sevastopol shipyard. A large landing ship can be seen to the left. Here's a picture of the Rapucha-class vessel. This image, geolocated to the dry dock, shows the same ship now damaged. Appearing at an arms fair in London, the head of Britain's Royal Navy offered his thoughts. They are redefining or, 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 or demonstrating uh, what can be done through uh, innovative thought processes uh, and a willingness to take risk. And as we've seen in a number of those areas, some really significant uh, adaptions of tactics, techniques and capabilities in order to try and generate uh, a, cap uh, a capability advantage over the Russians. Uh, and I really applaud that. As dawn broke, evidence hung in the air of the aftermath of the attack. Moscow said Ukraine had fired 10 cruise missiles with seven shot down. But it said two vessels were damaged and 24 people injured. This blow to Russia's Black Sea fleet may well not be the last. As Ukraine has signaled, there's more to come. Whoa. Did you know about that attack? I did not. Oh, well, you know, it was not really reported in the United States. And I'm going to tell you, it's uh, quite an intense attack, and it was a major escalation of this war because the British have supplied very powerful cruise missiles that travel at tremendous speeds and go really long distances. They gave these missiles to the Ukrainians and they said, hey, don't attack Russia with them. Wink, wink, nod, nod. And of course, the Ukrainians teed them up. Now, of course, the Ukrainians' comment is that Crimea is part of Ukraine. That's their comment. That's going to be their cover story. But, you know, it's been the home of the Russian fleet since forever. And it's really not going to be part of the Ukraine. It's just not. They're bombing, using Western high-tech weaponry to bomb Russia, inside of Russia. And you know why this was not reported? And I'm going to ask you, if you saw this on, you know, American News, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, if you saw it, put it in the live chat. I looked, I couldn't find one single news story from an American legacy or mainstream media outlet. And the reason why is what the Russians said was, okay, gloves are off. NATO targets are now fair game. In other words, the British are supplying the Ukrainians with the kind of weapons that could strike Moscow. So they're saying, hey, if that's the way it's going to be, we have to protect ourselves. So this is a tremendous escalation, and I want to thank each and every one of you for writing your congresspeople, writing your senators, getting together with your friends and family this Saturday, going out on a bridge and hanging a sign that says negotiate for peace. 
thank you for caring about the lives of my five children. Thank you for caring about my life, the lives of my family. Thank you for protesting. Thank you for letting our elected leaders know that we do not agree with this kind of escalation, which leads to a thermonuclear war. We just don't agree with it, period. Let's play this piece from Anthony Blinken, our Secretary of State here in the United States. Local elections were held Sunday in 79 Russian regions and four Ukrainian provinces illegally annexed by Moscow. The vote in the occupied regions has been strongly decried as a sham by Kyiv and its Western allies. Russian election officials said forces loyal to Kyiv tried to sabotage them. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, who last week toured Ukraine, told ABC's This Week show that he doesn't see any indication that President Vladimir Putin wants to engage in meaningful diplomacy to end the conflict. Russia invaded Ukraine in February of last year. Everyone wants this war to end, but it has to end on just terms and on durable terms that reflect uh, Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity. Lincoln highlighted the suffering that Ukrainian civilians regularly go through as a result of Russian attacks. He was asked whether the United States will send long-range missiles to Ukraine, which could reach deep into Russian territories. It's not only the, the weapon system itself, it's uh, are Ukrainians trained on it? Are they able to maintain it? Can they use it effectively as part of their strategy? And we are working on that every single day. In terms of their uh, targeting decisions, it's their decision, uh, not ours. Stop, please. Thank you. In terms of targeting decisions, it's their decision, not ours. This may go down in history as one of the greatest lies ever told to the American people. The Ukrainians don't buy toilet paper without getting a requisition request signed off on at the CIA and the State Department. They're a proxy army on the payroll of we the people. I am paying for this. So I want to say again, thank you for protesting and letting your elected officials know that you're not going to vote for them again if they support this war because I don't want to die. I want to live. I love living. I don't want to die in a thermonuclear war or the Holocaust that's going to come afterwards. These people are escalating this war. We the people have to de-escalate it by electing officials that are pro-human well-being, by standing up and telling the truth. I believe in peace. I believe in human well-being. There's nothing human well-being about this. They're going to provide, when I say they, I mean they, not, I'm, I'm, prote I'm in protest of this. The U.S. military and our government, our elected leaders, are going to, uh, Give the Ukrainians U.S.-made surface-to-surface, they're called Army Tactical Missile Systems. I love their acronyms. Attackums. They call them attackums. Isn't that great? Hey, you know, it's a business. Attackums. You know, I sit there at the convention. I'm uh, working for a military contractor, and I got a big sign behind me, and it's ATACMS. And the people come up to me and say, oh, let me tell you about our attackums. And I'm selling Missiles of death. That's what I'm doing. So these things go 155 miles. And Blinken is saying, hey, we're giving them, but what they do with them, it's up to them. No, 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 no. He's lying to us. 
It's a straight up bald faced lie. You don't give weapons to a country at war with a nuclear armed antagonist that can strike into their heartland unless you're looking for escalation. And that's clearly what they're looking for. And he had another lie. He said, well, the Russians aren't willing to negotiate a settlement that's just. When you're at war, justice has got nothing to do with it. There's no justice. It's only who's going to be left. And who's left is going to write the history, which will then take on the trappings of justice. This is a straight-up brawl. There's no rules. The rules are quickly disappearing. You're watching them. I'm playing the evidence that the rules are disappearing. What creates justice? Truth. Truth is the bedrock. Anthony Blinken, Secretary of State, thank you for telling me the truth. Thank you for telling me the truth. And when we hear the truth, we can get to justice. But we're far from the truth. We're demanding the truth. Let's play my favorite theme song for these people. We've played it before. Brooke Benton, lie to me. Just to, li- just to lighten up the, uh, the event today. I just want to lighten it up. Play Brooke Benton. It's great. I know I'm losing you. I feel it all the time. If I lose you, then I'll lose my mind. So lie to me, lie to me, make me believe everything you say. Just lie, 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 lie. I'd rather have it that way. Nobody told me. That you were cheating Oh, it's just a feeling I have But if I'm right You'd better lie to me Then I won't feel so bad Because the truth Would only hurt me And that price is too big to pay So lie to me to me I'd rather have it that way Now you may think I'm foolish for saying what I've said But the truth could mean I'd lose you So tell me a little lie instead yeah. I'll believe every word you say Even if you lie, 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 lie I'd rather have it that way We have a, a, a congressman here, Tom Emmer from Congressional District 6 
a Republican right in my backyard. I've, I've met him. I know him. He knows who I am. A lot of his people have walked up to me and told me they hate me, and some of them have threatened me. And the reason they threaten me is because he has a kind of cultish following of people that whatever he does, he's the golden boy. And who I think he is, is a liar. So I'm going to make lie to me the Tom Ammer theme song until we can put enough pressure on Congressman Ammer to thank you. I want to come up to you sometime on this podcast and say, thank you, Tom Ammer, for telling the truth. Thank you, Tom Ammer for telling the truth. Thank you, Tom Ammer, for telling the truth. But we're not there yet. Let's listen to Brother Emmer. Come on down, Brother Emmer, and lie to me. Let's play this piece. Thank you, Elise. Good morning. Hope you all had a uh, successful and restful August. It's good to be back in the People's House, where House Republicans are ready to continue delivering on our promises to the American people. One important aspect of our common sense agenda is actually protecting Americans' financial privacy, particularly when it pertains to this lawless administrative state. That's why I reintroduced a bill yesterday called the Central Bank Digital Currency Anti-Surveillance State Act, which puts a check on unelected bureaucrats and ensures that the United States digital currency policy upholds our values of privacy, individual sovereignty, and free market competitiveness. Recent actions from the Biden administration have made it clear that they are not only itching to create a digital dollar, but they're willing to trade Americans' right to financial privacy for a surveillance-style CBDC. This bill ensures the future of crypto is in the hands of the American people, not the administrative state. By prohibiting the Federal Reserve from creating a tool with unfettered insight into Americans' financial data. If not open, permissionless, and private, like cash, a CBDC is nothing more than a CCP-style surveillance tool that can be weaponized to oppress the American way of life. We're not going to let that happen not on House Republicans' watch. And I want to thank the Financial Services Committee for considering our bill this month, and we're going to continue working to ensure that the digital economy is designed by Americans and emulates American values. And I return it. Okay, you know, um, my audience, I, I communicate with many of you, and thank you for that. I appreciate it. And we're going to get into the balls of this thing. I mean, it's really mucky and miry and that's why I read that psalm at the beginning. I mean, these people, whoa, we're going to, the rest of this podcast, we're going to be talking a little bit about some political theater in a couple different realms. And I, I recognize for myself when I see this, I just go, okay, I'm running for the hills. But I can't do that because I, I have a love for this country and I love my God and I cannot abandon for my own personal gain, what I know to be the truth. And here's the truth. The truth is, the truth is, this is the most transparent and simple bill to read I've ever seen. These bills, when they propose legislation, they're like 100 pages long at the shortest. Sometimes they're two, 3,000 pages long. I mean, you got to sit down with, uh, you know, some eight-hour energy drink to get through one of these bills and Professor Penn has been reading this kind of legalese for 25, 30 years, so I can go through it pretty quickly. If you go and you read it, you're going to go, I don't understand a single word. What are they talking about? 
because they write it that way. But this bill, see, this is what you can do, what I can do, Tanner can do. We can actually go and read this stuff. And this bill was less than a page long. Really? Something as powerful as regulating central bank digital currency, which is all over the Federal Register that they're developing it, and President Biden has issued an executive order to hurry it into use, and they come up with a bill that just says right out to amend the Federal Reserve Act to prohibit the Federal Reserve Banks from offering certain products or services directly to an individual, to prohibit the use of central bank digital currency for monetary policy or for other purposes. Wow! One page, one line. Powerful. Of course, you get down to the fine print. The fine print, but still one page. With respect to any central bank digital currency study or pilot program of the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System, the Board of Governors shall consult each Federal Reserve Bank with respect to such study or pilot program and issue quarterly reports to the Congress on findings and determinations made in carrying out such a study or pilot program. Isn't that strange? It's on the same page. If the Congress is saying we're not going to do it, why don't they just put in the bill, stop studying it? You know why? This is theater. If you remember, and you go back to the Professor Penn podcast archive, there's a whole YouTube video I did called Lie to Me when Congressman Emmer came out as the House Majority whip and bragged that the House had passed the, a new debt ceiling deal that involved the largest cuts on spending in American history. Two and a half trillion, he was, he was bragging. It was complete and utter BS. Complete. A white, a, a, just a snow job of the American people. And, you know, if you remember the story, and those of you who are new, I'll tell the story, a very young activist who's senior to me here in the Republican Party took lie to me that entire YouTube video, and he sent it out to, I don't know, 15,000, 20,000 Minnesota Republicans. And, whoo, firestorm. Firestorm happened. And I actually ended up meeting with Emmer, and his people came and met with me, and they threatened me. I mean, real, really threatened me. I mean, like, I just spent the day with Tom Emmer, and I have a message for you, Professor Penn. And the message was not friendly, very unfriendly. Hey, that's politics. Remember, war is politics by other means, which means politics is war by other means. Von Clausewitz, look it up for yourself, and you'll get the flavor for it. But no, it created so much. This is inside baseball. This, this bill is one page long. It says two things. No central bank digital currencies, but while you're studying it, report to us. Which right off the bat should be kind of a, a sign or a signal that this is kind of a, a political theory or thing. But there was so much pushback on Emmer. So much fear broke out in the Republican Party because somebody's actually standing up. And it's not just me. There's many people in Minnesota that are saying, hey, come on. You can't tell the people of the Congressional District Number 6 in Minnesota who elected you that you're presiding over the greatest cuts in American history when in reality, since that debt ceiling bill passed, the Biden administration has added like a trillion, trillion and a half dollars to the debt. 
And I'm going to tell you next year, because this bill that they passed, this debt ceiling bill, there's no oversight until January 1st, 2025, after the next presidential election. Next year, they'll spend two or three trillion over budget. We're going to get out of the Biden administration, first administration, we'll be 35, 36 trillion dollars in debt. Okay, here's the facts. The facts. You can keep spending and you can keep borrowing, but eventually you go bankrupt. And when you go bankrupt, your currency is no longer worth anything. And the federal government is preparing to introduce a central bank digital currency. So a one-page bill that's never going to get voted on, and if it does, thank you, Congressman Ammer. But we're going to watch this. Let's see if this bill actually gets passed into law in the Congress, passed into law in the Senate, and goes to President Biden's desk and becomes the law of the land. Impossible, and they know it's impossible. It's theater so that they can go to the nationalists in Minnesota, which could get together and get rid of this Ammer, and say, oh, no, we're with you. We don't want a surveillance currency. It's complete and other BS. It is a very stylish propaganda lie. If the Republicans in Congress really, truly wanted to prevent the introduction of a central bank digital currency, they'd balance the f- budget. Just be that simple. You can't keep borrowing money. You're going to break the currency. I want a equity society. I'm thanking God for my equity, for my financial solvency. I'm thanking God for removing the debt that are being put on the American people and on all the children that I have and on Tanner and his daughter. We don't want debt, Congressman Emmer, and we don't want lies, Congressman Emmer. We want truth, justice, and the American way. We want to have a dollar in my pocket that has value. We want to value up, not value down. So that's very simple, isn't it? It's called political theater. It's a story. They're selling a story because they're afraid. They're afraid of the nationalists. The nationalists, I'm not going to call them Republicans or Democrats. That's another story that's a BS story. They're afraid of people that love God and love country who are now moving into politics to save our faith and to save our families and to save our country from lies. Lies. Who's the master of lies? Okay, look it up for yourself. Now, if you're watching me and you're saying, Professor Penn, I don't want to get involved in this. This is goofy. These people are crazy. It makes me feel bad to even hear this. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. But at least I have feelings. When I'm low, I can have joy. When I'm scared, I can have security. If I can't feel anything, if I disconnect myself from reality for my convenience, like if I get high every day, or spend all my time in, in electronic media numbing my feelings. I'm really not, I'm really giving up my power as a human being. And I'm handing my power over to liars and thieves and con artists. How do we win this day? How do we reestablish America? Number one, I'm trying to be as good as I can. And I fall short. 
and I know when I fall short, and I'm going to keep trying it every day, and maybe you'll get to see me become a good person through my role as working with you. I'm working on it every day. And I know people are going to put, maybe, maybe, I hope so, someone will put in the live chat, oh, you're a good person, because people do it. Well, you know what? It's an infinite becoming. And I'm not going to sit here and go, oh, great job. No. This is a full-on effort to bring goodness back into America so we can arrest this process of lies and deceit that's undermining justice. And if there's no truth and there's no justice, there'll be no peace. Do you remember what Berlin looked like? Beautiful Olympics in 36, 45 destroyed. Beautiful Olympics in 96. I don't want to see where I live, Minneapolis-St. Paul, destroyed. Unnecessary. And for those of you who say we've got to fulfill the book, I'm going to work for human well-being. That's what God wants me to do. That's what God wants all of us to do, to pursue well-being, which includes understanding ourselves spiritually, understanding our spiritual world, and the two great commandments. So I'm going to continue to work. I'm going to continue to strive. I'm going to continue to try to develop myself. And I'm going to continue to tell the truth in the hopes that we will have justice and that we can have peace. And I'm going to thank you for going out and protesting these people because that's how they're going to change their behavior. They're not going to be good. They've shown us they're not going to be good. What will make them good is we the people holding them accountable and demanding them to be good representing us. So when we're good, we're going to demand our representatives are good. And guess what? Miracles could happen. A miracle can happen. I want to tell a few uh, personal stories, COVID stories. Take a few minutes and tell some COVID stories. We live our lives by stories, and uh, I'm trying to become a, a much better storyteller, and uh, sometimes I'm on and sometimes I'm less on. But traditionally, before we had this kind of media, information, history, uh, mores, values, rules, were transmitted by elders to the young through stories. We used to call them fairy tales or fables. This is where the psychological and spiritual um, history of the people, that was the repository, and it was passed on generation to generation. And I've said many times, and I think it's worth saying over and over again, if you have the blessing, as I do, I have the blessing of, of having been raised in a traditional culture with a, many thousands of years of history. These traditional cultures, and there, there's a lot of them, America is really not one of them. This is a very young country. You take a look at, for example, China, which has been around for thousands and thousands of years. They kind of look at the United States as like a toddler. And uh, we do toddle along pretty good. And there's some good things about being a toddler. We have faith. We tell the truth, or at least we used to. We have values that are refreshed and beautiful. They're right there beneath the surface of this incredible effort to subvert truth and subvert justice and to end peace. 
And that's really where we're living. We got people that are very good at bringing an end to the kind of faith and fellowship that has existed. And I recognize that there was many things wrong with this country. But the question I asked the older viewers and listeners, if you remember 1965 and 1975 and 1985, was it better then or is it better now? And I am just have to make a judgment. Yes, it was definitely not better for a lot of people. But overall, our leadership, our leadership was not perverse to this level. I recognize that some groups were discriminated against. I recognize that the Civil Rights Movement was in its infancy that the women's rights movement was in its infancy. But those movements prevailed. They prevailed. And could we get better in these? Of course we can get better. We have a lot to work on. But really the traditional things that were so awful here have been addressed in some very comprehensive ways. But those movements have been co-opted, co-opted and weaponized such that all we've done is had a form change. We really have not gotten away from one race is superior and another is inferior. It's just morphed into a kind of a different form. We have not escaped the fundamental core problem, which was never God or faith. That's a scam. It was the people who fell short of understanding the second great commandment, which is to love your neighbor as you want them to love you. That's why slavery ended in the country. I mean, it's just obvious you can't have slaves if you're a Christian and you're commanded to love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot have a slave. Took a long time to get there, thousands of years. But we got there, and the movements have been weaponized. And things are not better. I want to tell two stories of uh, COVID. It's personal stories. Just share them with you. I have a friend. He's really truly my only friend that I've had my entire life. That's because I change a lot, and uh, I've participated in a lot of pretty intense things. And, you know, you get into something that's very intense, and you have your, your, your teammates, so to speak, and when it's over, it's over, and everybody goes home. And, you know, I can see these people, and it's like we never quit being involved in the team, but, you know, we're all living our own separate lives. And then you start another team, and that goes, and then that team disbands. And uh, I just have a one really good friend from the, from the um, shall we say, the neighborhood. You know, his family really looked up to him. He's a little bit older than me, and a tough son of a bitch he was. In fact, for those of you who understand this, and I know my friend Tom understands it, who watches me, and thank you, Tom, for watching. Thank you so much for watching. It's such a compliment, and I appreciate it so much. You know, when your friends watch you, people that you're with every day, and they watch every episode, oh, that's complimentary, and I take it as a compliment, and I'm deeply grateful for that kind of um, friendship. He was the middleweight state high school wrestling champion in Minnesota in the 70s. 
that would make him the toughest person in Minnesota in his age category. And he was my best friend, and we got in a lot of fights together. That's a different time. That was a different time in Professor Penn's life. And this guy, and we've stayed in touch, and he actually was in the tire business, and we worked together at different times, and we partied together, and we we just known each other for decades and decades and decades. And he called me when COVID started, and he said, uh, calls me Davy Boy. He goes, Davy Boy, did you get your shot? And I answered him. He said, you got to get that shot, Davy Boy. Go get that shot. And I said, uh, did you get your shot? Yes, he did. And we didn't talk for a couple months because, you know, we're older. We don't talk every day. I mean, we got our own separate lives. And I talked to him a couple months later, and he'd had a stroke, a stroke. And he had some severe disabilities that had developed as a result of this stroke. He was very sad, and I was very sad because I want you to think about this. This is a guy, one time we got into a fight, him and me, with nine people. We fought nine people. Nine people. Nine. And I think about half of them were St. Paul cops. This is a long time ago. You know, it's a long and winding road. I wasn't always the articulate intellectual that I am today. After all, it was the 70s. So, you know, we had a lot of good times together. I could tell you so many stories about the crazy shit that he and I did. And there was a lot of it. And I love him. And he had this stroke. And it's heartbreaking for me because. Here was a man who was the toughest person that I knew, who actually was an inspiration for me to develop my physicality and my ability to defend myself. And he trained with me. And uh, it was really good training. I remember one time, I have to tell this story. You'll like this. He called me up one day. He knew I was running. And he was a runner. And he goes, let's have a race. And I said, okay, what you want to do? He said, we're going to have a five-mile race. And we ran, and I'm going to tell you, it was not a jog. We ran so hard, and I wouldn't let him beat me, that I actually ruptured a blood vessel, and I was bleeding internally. That's how hard we ran. That's how hard we competed. And I love this guy. And I'm heartbroken that he's having these physical problems. And I want my community to pray for him. I want him to be well. He's a good person, and I feel terrible that he's had this stroke. And for those of you that have ears to hear and eyes to see will understand this fable, this story. And that brings up my good friend, the good Dr. Chris, my friend, the good doctor, who I've spoken about before, who was my best friend for 20 years. And I love his son, his son who I've not spoken with. I miss him. I was close to this family, and I am close to this family. I could call them tomorrow, and we would be close because we were such good friends. And this, this, was, this man was famous, famous, known all over the world, was on the, uh, at, worked at the University of Minnesota. He was a leader of the uh, health freedom movement. He practiced what's called integrative medicine, which is integrative medicine is using allopathic medicine with style gaining the benefits from science, but not giving over to science such that human well-being is ill-served. 
When you went to his office, his office where you got examined, it was like a library. He sat behind a desk. To get in to see him, you might wait six or eight months. The appointment, he talked to you for an hour. Not 15 minutes in a cold examination room where you're all nervous. A beautiful room with sunlight coming in and books and pictures and very comfortable chairs, and he'd talk about life. And he, but he was assessing all the time your well-being because he was there not to sell drugs, not to sell surgery. He was there to maximize your well-being, as he told me, to compress morbidity such that life would be good up to the last breath. Because if you have a long period of morbidity, morbidity means a disease process which fundamentally undermines your well-being. Because some people have morbidity for, we have people getting diabetes as teenagers. They're going to be diabetics until they die. They might be diabetics for 40 years. You know, and that's horrifying, horrifying. And he was trying to help people reduce their chronic conditions, compress their morbidity to such that they would leave more, more well-being lives. And uh, I went to uh, my friend Chris. I, he was not my doctor. He was my friend. But I did go see him as a doctor to ask him about COVID and ask him about the shot. And we talked, and he, he was looking at me. He goes, um, when was the last time you saw a doctor? And we were talking, and uh, I was in his blood draw room, and I looked over, and there was like 20 vials of blood coming out of my eyes. I said, what are you doing? And he goes, hey, hey, we're going to check you. I said, thank you very much. So really a good friend. And uh, came over to my house, and the, the lovely Mrs. Professor Penn made uh, my friend and his, his, his wife a beautiful meal. Beautiful. A beautiful meal. I mean, it was a gourmet, multi-course, just fantastic. It was right in the middle of COVID when COVID was starting to lighten up where we could get together again. And he came over and we had so much fun. It was fantastic. And he, my friend and his wife ate like kings, kings and queens. And it was an ethnic meal because it was a Chinese, traditional Chinese cooking, which is super healthy, which he totally appreciated because he knew that health and, you know, health and well-being, nutrition is a fundamental cornerstone of achieving health and well-being. And it was fantastic. And I didn't, and he went home. We, we talk a lot because we had an intellectual conversation going on. And I didn't hear from him for a while. And I called him and he had COVID. And uh, he died. Died of COVID. And it was horrifying for me. It's still horrifying for me to even think about it. I miss him. Uh, I miss him less now. That's because I'm a warrior. But it was a painful, painful passing for me because he was very, very close. I'm telling two stories about two friends, one who had a stroke and another one who passed because of this COVID thing, this very terrible period in world history. And I was home this weekend and, and thinking about this and talking about this with a young man in my house who's 12 years old, who I'm a father to. and. Um, we were talking about that dinner, and uh, Chris always prayed before he ate because prayer is so critical, as we keep saying. Here's a medical man, MD, PhD, 
can't get any smarter than this dude, graduate of Notre Dame, professor at the university. I'm talking about a scientist who believed in God. And he would always pray before he ate. And he, he looked over at my, my young man that I'm with every day, and he said, would you like to lead the prayer? And, of course, that freaked him out because he'd never been asked to do it. And he said, no. So Chris led the prayer, which was great. And I was home this weekend, and uh, this young man said to me, you know, I know how to pray before the meals now. I said, what do you mean? He said, do you remember when Chris came over and I couldn't pray? I've spent the last year learning how to pray. Let me show you. This is the power we have up until our last breath to affect the people around us. This is the, 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 uh, the punchline of this story is my friend died just after that dinner. And here we are many, many months, over a year later, and a young man who's 12 years old, his life has been changed by that dinner. And he's been, and I, I didn't know it. So it's a personal story. It's a beautiful story. There's a lot of beautiful things I could say about this man, but I want to remember him and I want to honor the influence that he's had even after his death in making a well-being world. It's beautiful. Okay, that was an interlude of beauty in between two horrifying examples of political theater. Let's try another one. Let's try another one. Can you play this clip under political theater about the rocket launch, please, Tanner? Let's take you now for something very, very exciting. This is uh, Kazakhstan. This is the uh, Cosmodrome there. And uh, in a few seconds, well, in 60 seconds to be precise, I'm being told in my ear, uh, the uh, rocket you see there the, uh, is going to be launching. It's called the Roscoe Cosmos Soyuz MS-24 spacecraft. And it will be launching uh, three astronauts, a NASA astronaut and two Roscoe uh, Roscoe Cosmos astronauts, cosmonauts, uh, to the International Space Station, where uh, they will be docking uh, soon after taking off. The U.S. Space Agency uh, is providing us with these pictures, and uh, it contains the rocket, three, uh, three uh, astronauts, the NASA astronaut Laurel O'Hara and cosmonauts Oleg Kononenko and Nikolai Chubb. They are expected to lift off, and they will then be joining the crew of the ISS, the International Space Station, uh, and I think we can just hear now. You have engine ignition. Second tower separation. Three, two, one. Bomb set flight speed. And liftoff. O'Hara, Kononenko, and Chu begin a short-duration journey for a long-duration mission on the International Space Station. All vehicle parameters are normal. 23 seconds into the flight. Good roll pitch and yaw program. Engine performance on the first stage nominal. L plus 30 seconds. Flight is nominal. 
40 seconds of the flight. has Always very exciting to see these launches. And uh, what we know is that this rocket, which contains an Astra astronaut and two cosmonauts, uh, has taken off. It will then meet the ISS, the International Space Station, where it will uh, rendezvous and dock. Uh, then we will see the three astronauts uh, entering the ISS, joining the space station's Expedition 69 crew. This expedition, these people, are called the Expedition 70 crew. They'll be joining the other uh, astronauts in the space station imminently in a few hours' time. So there you go, that launch, I would say, pretty successful. Whoa. Tanner, this could freak you out. Freaked me out. You know, I was sitting with Royce White in my office. And he told me that the Russians in the United States were still involved in space together. I said, that's impossible. Because after all, this war with the Ukraine and the Russians is really the United States versus the Russians because NATO and Ukraine are proxies for the U.S. military industrial complex. I said, there's no way, Royce. And guess what? We bet, and I lost. And, of course, because I'm Professor Penn, I looked everything up, and it freaked me out. Here's NASA and the Russian uh, equivalent, which is called Roscomos, working together to launch two Russian cosmonauts and a Russian astro—excuse me, two Russian cosmonauts and an American astronaut named Laurel O'Hara She's a former research engineer at the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution in Massachusetts. And they took off. This is last week. So while the British and the Americans are arming the Ukrainians with long-range cruise missiles and attacking targets inside Russia, the highest expression of our military-industrial complex, which would be Space Force, it doesn't get any more high-tech than Space Force. They're still working together. I cannot describe to you the dissonance that I feel and the uneasiness that I feel when I, there is an alleged war going on, but the two countries are still working together to launch people into space, which is the highest expression of the military-industrial complex, space exploration. And they call it exploration. It's not just exploration. These people are up to something together. Of course, I don't know what. But I start poking around. I start poking around. And the first thing I do is I look up this Roscomos, which is a $1.92 billion budgeted Russian uh, space agency company that employs 170,000 people. These are the people that make their rockets that are killing Ukrainians. And guess what? Not only that, but this company is offering to its 170,000 employees special financial bonuses for becoming warriors and going to the Ukraine to kill Ukrainians which, of course, there's a lot of Americans there fighting amongst the, Amer amongst the Ukrainian army. Now, what kind of scam is going on here? What kind of con is this? So we've got NASA 
working with Roscomos, and at the same time, they're working against each other? Are they really working against each other? Come on, this rocket went off last week. You'd think they would cancel it. Called on a counter rain. Something. But no, 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 no. They're still cooperating at the highest level of technological achievement and development. And wouldn't it be strange to find out, which I did. Do you remember we were talking about Elon Musk turning off the Starlink satellites so that the Ukrainians could not attack the Russians in the Sevastopol Harbor? Remember that? Yes. Right? What did we show here? They attacked the Russian fleet in Sevastopol. So that was kind of a cover story, wasn't it? So you dig around a little bit farther. And guess who NASA is using to launch our rockets? Well, that would be SpaceX, which is owned by Elon Musk. Its revenue is $4.6 billion a year. It employs 12,000 people. Now, the Russians have Roscomos that employs 170,000 people, and it's budgeted for $1.92 billion a year. SpaceX is kind of an outsource by the U.S. government. Musk figured out a way to launch rockets and do this rocketry at a much lower cost than a government program. So he's got a government contract. And guess what? He owns a company inside of SpaceX, a subsidiary called Swarm Technologies. What is Swarm Technologies? Well, first of all, QTEL, the venture capital arm of the CIA, lists Swarm Technologies as one of their CIA startup companies. Who's Elon Musk? He's in business with the CIA. That's who he is. What does Swarm do? In 2018, Swarm became the first U.S. company to be found to have deployed satellites without regulatory approval. Well, why not? It's a CIA operation. And they deploy what's called Pico satellites. These are small, miniaturized satellites. This is this Starlink idea. Now, what are these people up to? What are they really up to? What are they up to? I thought. We're at war with the Russians. Oh, no, it's a proxy war. Whatever. It's like Democrats and Republicans. It's political theater. We, the people, are at war with the Russian people. We just are. I mean, we just are. We just, you know, we're allowed to go about our daily business. I mean, if you're living in Boston, you didn't take a direct hit from a nuclear missile yet, but you will if this keeps up. So, again, thank you for going out to protest. Thank you for writing your Congress people. Thank you for writing your senator. Thank you for talking to your friends and neighbors such that we end this war because we are going to be the victims, not these people that run this rocketry, which is like tomfoolery. These people are still in business. They're still working together. What does Swarm do? Swarm is setting up a satellite network in low Earth, or, low Earth orbit. It's called LEO, Low Earth Orbit. Hundreds and hundreds of these satellites, which allow the Internet to function. But guess what else? It's not just the Internet. The militaries have their own communication Internet. Did you know that? I, I guess I didn't know that, but I had assumed that that's how it works. Makes per perfect sense, doesn't it? Yeah. So in other words, they can shut off our communications anytime they want to. 
but they can communicate freely amongst themselves. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. Interesting. Do you feel set up? I feel set up. I feel set up when my government is telling me I'm at war with the Russians, that we have to put in more money. President Jelinski is coming this week to collect more cash. Everybody's about giving them the cash, giving them the weapons, fight the war. There's dozens of countries that are participating in this because, you know, America's influence is still quite strong. But the Russian Roscosmos Space Agency and our NASA Space Agency, which has outsourced its rocketry to SpaceX, to Elon Musk, who owns Swarm Technologies, which is setting up an Internet of Things satellite system, which allows the militaries to communicate when we're off air. I don't feel real good about this. I want to be very honest with you. It was a very difficult weekend for me when I started poking around in here. And you have to see it for yourself. You really have to take, you don't have to look very hard. I mean, it's not like you have to go down to the archives in Washington and pour through, you know, hidden documents. Just go to Wikipedia and start reading. Please, this only works when we see it for ourselves. I know you have many things you want to do. I know there are many things to do. We have to earn a living. We have families, friends, activities. I get it. But this is the most important thing we can do right now. Maybe a year from now or two years from now, it'll be different as it was 10 years previously. At certain times from time to time, we got to get involved. We got to see it for ourselves. We got to do whatever we can do what's within our purview to make our influence felt. Like my friend Chris, I over a year after his death, is influencing this young man who lives with me who I love. And I didn't even know it. Our influence spreads out in the world in ways that we cannot track, we cannot control. Our goodness spreads. We don't know how it spreads. So we be good. We'd be educated, and let's just talk about where we're at. Let's just end up, where are we at? Where are we at today? Well, I want to just talk about my backyard, because that's what we need to focus on. Now, if we're chosen to be an international player or a national player, we have a wider scope of action. But I'm chosen right now to work in my neighborhood. That's who I am, and I'm totally great with that because that's where the action is. So wherever you are, you are a powerful, a potentially powerful agent of positive change in your neighborhood, with your family, with your coworkers, with the people that live in your area. When you go out for a walk and walk with style, I go out, I'm going to walk today six miles. I walked over the weekend. I stop and talk to everybody. I spread goodness wherever I go. Now, my neighbors, if any of my neighbors are watching me, one day I will call upon them to have a picnic. And at that picnic, we're going to find out who's really my friend because it's going to be a political picnic because I don't believe in this thing. We don't talk about religion and politics. That's a scam. But first, want to be friends with people so they'll listen. And I don't believe in using people. We're a movement that cares about people. So we are a community of people that actually are interacting with each other 
with dignity and respect, following the great second commandment, treating our neighbors as they want them to treat us. I don't want to be used. I don't want to be pissed on, and I don't want to be passed over. I want to be loved and cared about and valued as an American citizen. And that's what our movement's all about. And that's what makes us different as a movement. Oh, it sounds fantastic. You know what? It's not fantastic. You know what's fantastic is we're at war with the Russians and we're sending astronauts up into space with Russian astronauts. That sounds fantastic. Would you get into a small little enclosed place with people that you're at war with? Sounds a little heavy. I don't think it's what we think it is. I think this space exploration is telling us we don't have the whole story. We just don't have the whole story. We need the whole story. So back here in Senate District 45, which is the western suburbs of Minneapolis-St. Paul, and this goes on in every state, everybody has some system just like this but a little different. Minnesota has 63 Senate districts. If I'm wrong, please put it in the live chat. Each Senate district sends two elected officials to the Minnesota House of Representatives, our legislature, and one from that Senate district, one senator to the Minnesota Senate. We have a House of Representatives, a Senate, and we have a governor. Set up kind of like our national government where we have a Congress, a Senate, and a president. It's the same style. In SD45, we have one Republican, Representative Andrew Myers, in 45A. The Senate district has an A and a B side. Every Senate district has an A and B side and probably does in Kentucky or Texas or any place. It's the same but a little different. I'm explaining Minnesota because my line of country is Minnesota. But please figure out your local situation. It's it. This is a model, and we need to learn each of us, our own local rules and norms. We have one Republican House member, Andrew Myers. Okay, we're going to leave Andrew out of it. We got a climate alarmist named Representative Patty Acomb in 45B. When I say she's a climate alarmist, she's continuously casting a spell that the world's coming to an end. You know, spelling, like how to spell? Spelling, it means spell. Ing. Spelling. Casting a spell. Casting a spell like, oh, I would like all the people to be well. Thank you, God, for human well-being. Thank you, God, for the health and well-being of my family. Thank you for providing for all my needs. Thank you for directing my path. Thank you for making me an American. Thank you for giving me courage. Thank you for giving America glory. Thank you for giving strength to the weary. You see, we're casting a spell. We pray. And whatever we wish for when we pray, we believe we will have received it and we shall have it. It's cat spelling. So what do the climate alarmists tell us? The world's coming to an end. The world's coming to an end. Humans are destroying the world. I'm not even going to say it anymore. You got the message. We got two competing ways to interact as human beings. One's uplifting. The other one's taking us down a hole. Have to make a choice. So we got a climate alarmist, Representative Patty Acomb, 
And if you're in Minnesota and you'd like to run against her, please get in touch with me. We're going to find a candidate. Thank you, God, for giving me a good candidate because we want to get Patty Acomb retired and send her back to her government job because she's on the payroll. And so is her husband. They're part of the system. We need an American citizen to come forth and be a champion. Then we have a state senator. That would be Dr. The Doctor. Doctor, are you, if you have ears to hear me, the doctor, the doctor, O-B-G-Y-N, the doctor, Kelly Morrison, who was the writer and the sponsor of the abortion at birth bill, the full-term abortion bill, which was formerly called infanticide. Now we call it abortion. And we're told it doesn't happen very often, and perhaps it doesn't. But in Minnesota, Patty uh, A. Coleman voted for it, and uh, uh, Dr. Kelly Morrison, the doctor, the doctor. Do, am, am I making myself understandable how I feel about this? And he's not even going to answer me. <laughs> because, you know, I'm beating myself over the head with this. Kelly Morrison is, you know, sponsoring this bill, and now she's got a new bill she's working on. She's working with the life of the agent. How great. How nice it is of the doctor to care about the the life and the well-being of people who are aging, like Professor Penn, and hidden in the fine print, euthanasia. What's euthanasia? Well, we, we did a whole podcast. If you go back to the last podcast, 57, I called it Sangerism, and the case I was making was that eugenics, which comes out of the British intellectual tradition that justifies slavery, drugs, and piracy, Darwinism, eugenics, is on a slippery slope, always politically implemented through different parties like the Nazi party. Oh, let's think of some other parties. What's the slippery slope, the continuum? Birth control, abortion, euthanasia, and then genocide. And as I said, and I want to be very careful about this, where are we? I am not here to judge, and I am not here to criticize. I understand the severity and the complexity of this issue. All I am trying to do is to let the audience, the viewers and the listeners, to know where birth control, abortion, euthanasia, and genocide come from intellectually. Where are the ideas in my head coming from? That's what Professor Penn works on. Why do I think the way I think? Why do I think this way? Well, in this case, Darwin, survival of the fittest, Spencer, cultures are just like organisms. The fittest survive. Oh, that would be called the master race. Galton, Sir Francis Galton, how to operationalize eugenics as a political movement through the Masons. Malthus, who said, not enough food, too much population. We're going to have a lot of starvation. And these three dudes said, hey, why starve? Let's kill them before there's starvation. That's where these ideas come from. Here in Minnesota in 45, Senate District 45, we got a climate cultist alarmist and a woman who sponsored a bill that legalized abortion at birth and is now working on 
healthcare policy for the aging, which includes euthanasia. I'm not judging. I'm just saying where the ideas came from. The British intellectual tradition, which is an anti-Christian tradition. Nothing Christian about it. Nothing Jewish about it. Nothing spiritual about it. It's a purely material philosophy developed by scientists to justify a business model, no spiritual, all material, about how to evolve the human species through human agency. That's what it is. You have to see it for yourself. You can go get these books. You can read them yourself. And when you do, you're going to see that I'm right. And why I know I'm right is I'm not the only person that has figured this out. This is going to become more and more evident. So I have these, these people here in Minnesota, and this is what they believe. Do all my neighbors believe in this? I don't know. I don't know what they believe. But I'm meeting them and talking to them, and I'm listening to them, and I care about them, and I care about their well-being, and I care about the well-being of their children. I am the deputy chair of Senate District 45. It is my job to serve my community, and that is what I am doing. First, by listening, by slowly creating a community, bringing forth to the people of my community why we have these ideas in our head, why we think the way we think, and perhaps when we understand where, I, where these ideas come from, and we evaluate ourselves and we can decide better what is it that we want to believe? What am I going to affirm in my daily, in my daily speech? What am I going to fight for? Human well-being or death? Human freedom or human slavery? These are the things we've got to sort through as 45. So in 45... I'm meeting as many people as I can. Now, this is a model for all of us. We're holding town halls. We're getting together every week with people. We're talking to people. We're creating this content so that it can be cut into 15-minute clips and one-minute shorts, and you're going to see these coming through your feed so that you can become a force multiplier. How do you do it? You create your own, and you probably already have it because you're here watching. You have your own social media page. And I see this all the time. You repost the ideas in the articles that you think are worthy of your dissemination. You are your own editor. This is called the underground information highway, the underground. I'm very careful about what I say here because I want to stay here with you. But you're going to find me on Getter. You're going to find me on X. You're going to find me on Rumble. You're going to find me on Truth Social. You're going to find me on BitChute. I'm going to try to be everywhere. Take the information that you think is important and send it out. Purposefully grow the community of Free People Radio. Of Please Call Me Crazy with the Professor Penn Podcast. We're doing good work. We're doing it because we love God and we love the country. We're doing it because we're fighting for your well-being and we're asking for your help. I am not afraid to ask for your help. I'm not afraid to say I need your help because, in fact, I do. 
Our country needs patriots to step up and let their friends and neighbors and co-workers know what they think and feel in the most kind of eloquent and informed ways. I am not a supporter of flamethrowing. I don't believe in labeling. I don't, I don't want to label people. When I, even when I use the word you, it's broken down. Like if I say, hey, Tanner, you, it's over. You're not going to listen to me if I say you. I just know it. People don't like me. I don't like it. I like to make I statements. I need your help. I am asking for your help. I'm asking you to join the community as a force multiplier and send out the information so that we do a great job of educating and sharing how these secret societies called political parties work so that you can give 24 hours a year to save your family and your country. 24 hours a year gets the job done. 24 hours. Become a delegate and vote for the ideas and the people that you think are going to protect your well-being and the well-being of your children and the well-being of your parents. That's all I'm asking for. 24 hours. And on that note, I have to end. And I want to thank you for joining me. I want you to send this out. I wish you well, and I'm going to look forward to seeing you again Thursday night. Thank you very much.